0: When I was a kid, I used to have a recurring dream that was really more of a nightmare. The dream would go like this. My family and I would be leaving our local IKEA store to head to our car. As we walked out into the parking lot, these colorful building blocks I used to play with would suddenly start to fall out of my pockets and I would stop to pick them up, slowing down as my family continued on toward our car. I still remember the feelings of panic as I had to keep stopping to pick up these blocks, watching my family disappearing and knowing that I would inevitably be left behind. Hi, and welcome to the very first episode of the Forget-Me-Not pod. I am Bridget, your host, and today I'm talking about the concept of identity and what brought this show to be. Going back to my childhood nightmare, it has been a persistent and invasive fear of mine to be forgotten and abandoned for as long as I can remember. I know now that this fear stems from childhood experiences and chronically unmet needs, but as the child living those experiences, I simply felt haunted by this feeling that I would one day fade away. And none of the things i had done or thoughts i had would matter at all this was directly tied into my very real expectation that at some point i would be irreparably separated from my family and spend the rest of my life wandering alone alone and forgotten my two greatest fears as i got older and began to understand more about the complexities of existence and relationships the concrete versions of these fears that i would literally be erased from memory and completely left alone Give way to the subtleties of psychology, leaving me with a vague but uncomfortable itch of fear that I would later learn to call anxiety. Knowing this, it's probably not surprising that I was drawn to books. I first learned to read when I was two, yes really, and received my first copy of Oliver Twist when I was around eight. It's been almost 20 years since I first read Oliver Twist, and I still remember the sense of comradeship I felt with him, and subsequently nearly all Dickensian characters. Reading novels was the first time I can clearly remember the experience of shared humanity. I didn't know Oliver, could never know Oliver, he was a fictional character, and I didn't live in a time or place remotely resembling 1800s England as he did. I was not an orphan, had never hung out with a band of thieves, and at that point in my life had never tragically lost a dear friend. And yet there was something in me that recognized the loneliness and desperation to find my place that Oliver seemed to share. My fictional friends didn't end with Oliver. By the time I was 12, I'd read just about every classic novel that our library owned. I collected characters as friends, Anne of Green Gables, D'Artagnan, the March sisters, the Fellowship, the Pevensies, the Baudelaire's, Poirot and Mrs. Marple, Holmes and Watson, James Bond, and all of Hemingway's antiheroes, among many, many others. I attribute the fact that I survived high school nearly solely to the perks of being a wallflower and looking for Alaska, as well as the entire ensemble of Harry Potter. If you were to ask me about any one of these characters, I would describe them to you the same way I would describe anyone else I love. I was a kid and young adult starved for something I didn't have words for, and in my fear of being insignificant and unwanted, I sought places that became familiar, themes that validated my own feelings, and stories that gave me something to hope for. I would guess this is where my love of unsatisfactory endings comes from. I love books and movies that don't end tied with a bow. I prefer the endings that leave you questioning, uncomfortable and wondering, the unforgettable kind in what is both ironic and predictable my young adulthood unfolded in many ways exactly how i had feared my senior year of high school was shadowed by a suicide epidemic my family broke apart while i was at college my ex was killed in a horrific car wreck my first marriage was a cacophony of infidelity abuse isolation and emotional estrangement In the resulting divorce friends and family not only sided with the enemy but cut me down by attacking my character. And the very core of who i believed i was all of the identities i had worked so hard to perfect wife mother daughter friend were completely crushed and i felt much like the fetal voldemort in harry potter and the deathly hollows naked devoid of purpose and shaking with fear of what would come next in a series of events that led to a rock bottom worthy of another fictional character i realized i could either cave to an existence focused on hungrily grasping for external validation to stave off my inevitable disappearance or I could fight to reclaim and rebuild myself into a person I could respect and maybe even learn to like. It's been just over two years of rebuilding. I've learned that I don't have to hold on to everything I once believed to be true. I've let go of some beliefs, held tightly to others, and continued to consider many. I've realized that just like my hodgepodge band of literary friends, my strengths aren't found in perfecting a role but in leaning into the tension and shadows of decisions and consequences and choosing to show up no matter what. Forcing myself to be okay with imperfection while continuing to strive to feel good enough has led me back to a place of seeing other people through a lens that neither demands my version of excellence nor dismisses effort, while also maintaining a belief that we are all capable of growth and working toward a collectively better version of humanity." I think we often look to leaders, gurus, and celebrities for affirmation and inspiration that is available to us within our own circles. I wrestle constantly with the extremes of questioning whether life has any purpose at all and fearing that I will miss out on mine, vacillating between the desire to rest and contentment and the craving for the next emotional high. And it has been through entertaining conversations that explore both endpoints and everything in between that I found myself most grounded and most free so what led me here? Creating a podcast. There's lots of reasons I shouldn't be. Namely, I legitimately hate the sound of my own voice. I also have never felt comfortable with verbal vulnerability, which is why I communicate primarily in sarcasm and hyperbole, particularly when any emotions are concerned. I don't know what I'm doing here exactly. The imposter syndrome is very real, and the risks of being disliked and criticized are impossible to avoid by sheer virtue of opening my mouth. Perhaps for the most selfish reasons, I have something to say, if only to feel as if the slow fading of my existence is somewhat stayed by existing loudly. There is some nostalgia, having grown up listening to NPR and other radio journalism, and I love podcasts for the creativity that they embody beyond written word. And, if I'm being honest, the drama kid in me has always loved a stage. But, if I can have the gall to make it bigger than me, I think all of us are seeking the roots of what makes us human, and what makes our place here on Earth a meaningful one, if at all. If living through a global pandemic has taught us anything, it's that we need to see each person as fully human and essential to our existence, and if I can share anything with the world, it could be a curiosity for curiosity's sake that leads us to wonder about the whys and what-fors that every person around us experiences as well. The one thing I have known to be true about myself consistently and constantly is that I am a storyteller. In childhood, I would create my own reality and lived very much in my head with imaginary friends, who felt as real to me as any of my physical friends. Ever since I learned to form letters, I've been writing stories down as well. The characters that I write about are like family members and it never turns off. I don't know if it's the same way for other writers and storytellers, but everything is a story to me. It doesn't matter what else I'm doing. My brain is constantly creating characters and stories formed out of my day-to-day experiences. Sometimes I'm paralyzed by it, carrying all of these alternate realities in my head And at times the alternate realities start to bleed into this one. Perhaps it stems from identifying with fictional characters for over a decade, but at times my own life feels dramatized and the only way I can process it is by telling my own story. Reality is really a construct. My reality is very different from the reality my mother experiences. It doesn't make either of us wrong, I simply experience a reality closer to that of the majority of other people. Our realities are not purely subjective, There are common aspects to existence that most people accept as real, but some of us have faith in an entity that cannot be proven, others of us have had experiences that can never be fully understood until they're shared, and we all form our own perception of reality from these beliefs and impacts. In acknowledging this and in exploring both commonalities and dissonance in our constructed realities, we not only strengthen our own, but tend to find more compassion for the other. I have an almost obsessive love for art, but especially for writing, film, and performance art, because in the creation of a new reality, whether it's a whole universe or just a sum of interactions that spell out universal truths, there becomes a mirror where we see our own truths reflected back to us in a way that adds meaning to our own lives. I am someone who tends to strongly identify with characters in television or movies. I spent some time reflecting on this lately, wondering why I find so much validation in fictional characters' experiences. I watched Nomadland for the first time a week or so ago, and I was enthralled by the story. Reflecting on it afterward, I realized that the powerful thing about movies like Nomadland is how little story there really is. It left a lot of room for the viewer to take what they needed from it. For me, the film centered around grief and the ways in which we cope with loss. It was a beautiful portrayal of moments along the way that are always somewhat discolored by lingering grief, but nevertheless cherished. I also recognize that for me, there is an element of escapism. I don't engage well with messiness, and human beings are messy. When people around me cry, I never know what to do. And when I cry around other people, I never know what to do. Emotion is something I process best projected onto characters who can experience them for me. The irony is that I feel things so intensely that emotion can become a reality for me in a way that it doesn't exist for someone else. To be someone who feels intensely, but who is constantly in an existentialist state of mind, is a daily challenge. Storytelling is a way for me to find a way to explore the tension. I primarily write about realities I wish I had experienced or that allow a proxy to process something I wrestle with. As someone who doesn't care much for emotions, pouring them into a character I could pretend to be, or one that existed on paper, allowed me to challenge my confusion around feelings into something solution-focused. If I was feeling sad, I could pretend to be Rowan, the outlaw warrior girl, whose true love had just been shot with an arrow. In my past games of pretend, I was never the damsel in distress and was always rescuing the men I loved. It should have been prophetic. If I was feeling angry, I could write about the Irish immigrant girl who was being bullied in a new country, and finally used her wit to put the bully in her place. As an adult, I stopped playing pretend, but my stories continued to give me an outlet to process. My parents' divorce, loss, my own divorce, losing the person I thought was the love of my life, and so many other things. And as my words create a new reality, a new person, an entirely new existence, I get a bit of a high, feeling like I belong to something so much bigger than myself. So I ended up here, because I want to tell all of the stories I can. I want to be a part of as many stories as I can. I want to live a thousand lives before I die and experience as much of reality as I can take in. And I am hopeful that I can do it in a way that does justice to the beauty and confusion of what it is to be human. Identity seems to be the most common theme in our collective stories. Who doesn't ask, who am I? What does this decision say about me? How do I become the person I want to be? There is, of course, a spectrum of how often the questions are asked and how deeply they are explored, but there is a universal perception of self and how ourselves appear to others that is formed from our experiences and choices. My identity has seen some massive shifts. I was raised in a conservative, evangelical Christian military household. I adopted the ideologies I was raised with and identified with them strongly for many years. There was a moral superiority that I associated with being both conservative and Christian, not consciously and not intentionally, but looking back, I certainly tied my own worth to the principles that I believed in, and this played out in a significant way when I became an adult. Throughout childhood, I believed I was inherently bad. Black and white thinking is my default, whether that is nature or nurture, I will probably never know, but the heavy emphasis on sin and the criticism that I faced growing up encouraged this belief that I must be bad. I also came from a family that is predisposed to mental health disorders, and my earliest memory of experiencing depression was around age 8. In the following years, I associated my depression with being a sinful human, and the entanglement of the two became my primary identity. This compounded in high school. I know high school is rough for everyone, but I moved from a big city to a small town, where everyone has grown up together, and I had just left behind everyone I had known. I'd been homeschooled until that point and was academically accelerated, which apparently made me an intrigue to my new peers. I made an impression as a goody two-shoes, which was in direct conflict with my own belief that I was dark and bad. I felt like an outsider living in constant conflict with the tension of how my peers saw me and how I felt inside. Then, my sophomore year, I made a decision that had a significant impact and essentially imploded the perceptions people had of me for the worse. My guess is not many people I went to high school with remember or know how much of an impact the fallout had on me. I became a running joke. I was given a nickname that was used to reference my actions as an inside joke. As much as I laughed along and acted like it didn't bother me, the shame stayed with me until about a year ago. In a sense, it was a relief. People finally saw me the same way I saw myself, and I continued to move forward with similar behaviors, reinforcing this new identity. No one was harder on me than myself. The self-hatred that formed and grew consumed every part of my life. I hated myself, but was desperate to be proven wrong and chased after anyone I thought might be able to convince me otherwise. As I'm sure most people know, that was not the solution. My life was disrupted and possibly saved by my car accident. In a strange series of miracles, I survived what should have been a much more serious wreck and injuries a couple weeks into my senior year. I experienced the stereotypical second chance at life high and started to try to build something different for myself. And this is where things get tricky. I knew I wanted to be happy. I knew I wanted to move forward with my life in a meaningful way. And for the first time, I realized that much of my formed beliefs about the world were being challenged by questions I was finding myself asking. So I started to explore more of the world from an intellectual standpoint, reading books and watching movies that challenged my worldviews. In college, I added research and studies to my exploration, and my beliefs about humanity and society shifted dramatically and began to solidify into what they are today. But even as this growth occurred, my beliefs about myself stayed frozen. I didn't see my identity as fluid or malleable. I saw myself as covered in baggage that over time had molded and fused to who I was. I moved through the world attempting to remain hidden and pouring myself into doing better, being good as i shared earlier that wasn't enough eventually the shadow identities i had built as extensions of myself connected to other people were untethered and i was left with the fused baggage in rebuilding i didn't just rebuild my external life i have realized that in order to ever have a life that is sustainable i have to change and keep changing this has been the most painful part of all for so long i identified with my sadness and trauma and shame that it was terrifying to think of letting go of the most familiar parts of myself. In surviving with them, I had mostly ignored them, and letting go of them meant embracing the ways they had shaped me and looking at them closely enough to be able to heal them. It's an interesting thing to look at the ugliest parts of yourself and to be able to say, you have been a part of me, but you are not who I am, while also acknowledging that you will always carry the imprint of those feelings and experiences. For me, this self-examination was a profound understanding of identity. Humans are meant to be relational, even with ourselves. I think this relationship is often overlooked and underplayed. People will say the most important relationship you will have with yourself is with yourself. And yet there's never any explanation of what that is supposed to mean or how we navigate that other than referencing self-help books and online gurus. We think of ourselves as stagnant and hold to the things that hold us together, when in reality, we are either accumulating or moving through the things that shape and define us. Relationships are dynamic, and it is generally when people refuse to move within a relationship that impasses occur and relationships end. I would suggest that it's the same for our relationships with ourselves. Through telling stories and exploring meaning with other humans, my hope is our understanding of identity is also explored. I hope that the topics and questions that will come up will encourage you in your relationship with yourself. For many of us, I think we hold so tightly to our bound identities in an effort to have significance, in an effort to not be forgotten, in an effort to belong. But I wonder if the beauty of self and identity is found in finding significance in the smaller moments that give us joy or that bring us closer to another human. As imperfect as it is, if we are going to find a meaning in life, we might as well not do it alone. I'm really excited to continue to have conversations with the people in my life and share them with you and hopefully bring up some of the topics and questions that you may have, which can be submitted to me via message at the Instagram page, which is the Forget Me Not pod. If you could like this podcast, follow this podcast and rate it when you are able, that would be wonderful. Until then, I will talk to you later.